Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Job 23. Excuse me, 22. Job 22. Job 22, verse 23 says... If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold for then, or and your precious silver, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. So remember really quickly the book of Job. Uh, the book of Job starts where Job had everything. Uh, Job ha- had lots of possessions, great family. He had it all. And Satan comes to God and said, He only loves you. He only serves you because he has all the stuff. So God allowed Satan to test Job. We'll take all that he has away. And so in an instant... In an instant, his possessions were gone. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return, blessed be the name of the Lord. One, the next night, all of his children gone. Everything that he loved, all of his most dear treasures gone. Then Satan comes and says, well, he only loves you, he only serves you because... Because he's got his health. Take away his health. Touch his body. God says, okay, go for it. Satan strikes him with boils. Do you remember the story? And he takes a broken pot and he scrapes himself to ease the itch and the pain. Again, Job's wife, why don't you curse God and die? What are you, what are you talking about? Right? And, and that's truly where he says, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and so Job begins to sit, having lost everything. He sits and his friends come. And if you've read the book of Job, you're like, great friends these are. Uh, if these are friends, I don't want enemies, right? So they come and and they begin to speak to him. He makes a defense and they give a rebuttal to his defense. And he uh, comes back on their rebuttal. And, and it's just this conversation back and forth and back and forth. And here, in the middle of Eliphaz's rebuke of Job, he says this. And so we're just really going to focus on if you lay gold in the dust, then... All, the Almighty will be your gold and precious silver. Then you will delight yourself in Him. Now, interestingly, 
This is coming in the middle of a passage that God later in chapter 42, I think it's verse 7, says to Eliphaz, I'm, my anger burns toward you, Eliphaz, and your friends for what you've said. So it's, it's interesting that in the middle of this passage, and, and God says about Eliphaz's rebuke, my anger burns at you for your rebuke. And it's not for what you said, but it's you indicted my servant Job over something that was not true of him. Now, what we find in this rebuke, even though it was not true of Job, is true for us. There is a promise here. There is a blessing to be found. And he says, if you'll lay your gold in the dust, then, then the Almighty will be your gold and precious silver for you, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty. And so here's what I want you to see today. If you miss everything else, God wants to be your treasure. God wants to be your delight. And that's the goal of your life and my life because it's God's goal for your life and my life. Now, Many of you have heard the Westminster Catechism. Westminster Catechism starts with question number one. What is the chief end of man? I think we've got it on the screen. What is the chief end of man? And you've heard this phrase. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's, that's our goal. That's why we exist, is to glorify God and enjoy Him for every day that we have in our life. Now... Here's what we're doing in this series. We're spending four weeks on the idea of stewardship. It's four weeks on the idea of stewardship. Back in April, uh, I went to a training with a number of our church members. And we just went to this training again on Thursday. But I, I, I went to this training in April and came back. And thinking about what our church needed to hear, I planned October would be the time that we'd talk about stewardship. And so I want to review a few terms real fast. Now, a lot of people... You talk about stewardship and you go, oh man, the pastor's talking about money. He's talking about money. And, and here's what I want you to understand. Now, stewardship does have to do with money, but stewardship has to deal, do with so much more than money. It has to do with everything in your life. And that's the idea that I want you to understand is stewardship is about our whole life being steward, stewarded before the Lord. So, Let's define three terms real fast. Define three terms. Number one, tithing. Tithing. That's the term that we hear about when we talk about money most often. A tithe means a tenth. And it comes from Genesis chapter 14. Tithe means a tenth. Uh, a tithe in the Jewish world was actually more than a tenth. The offerings were somewhere around 22 and some change percent of what Jews would give to the Lord. But a tithe means a tenth. That's what we hear a lot about in church. Two is generosity. Generosity is a willingness to share with others that involves personal sacrifice. And we see that in the New Testament so often that, that in Acts chapter 2, they sold everything, they had it in common, and, and they shared with others as they had need. As a need arose, they met the need with what they sold from their own possessions. And so that's generosity. Uh, we see that there. We see it in many other places. And then stewardship. Stewardship is the act of wisely managing God's stuff in a way that pleases the master. In a way that pleases the master. So let me recap last week for just a second. 
Last week, just a moment, our relationship to money will always impact our relationship to God. In fact, our relationship to money, the way we view money and possessions and life, is actually a reflection of our relationship to God Almighty. So it's, it's not just, it won't just impact it, but it reflects it. So my attitude toward money reveals my priorities. It reveals my love for Him. And so when I look about how I handle money and possessions and things and resources that God has given to us, if I, I, what does it say about my priorities? If I'm not honoring the Lord, if I'm not giving to the Lord, if I'm not generous to others, if I'm not serving the Lord with the time that He's given me, what does it say about my priorities? What does it say about my real loves when I store away rather than am generous? Last week, we looked at Mark chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, and we, we zoomed in on the third soil in the parable of the soils, or the sower. And the parable of the, the soils, the third soil, is the seed hit good ground, but in the middle of that good ground were thorns. The plant grew up, the seed grew Uh, The plant shot up and thorns came around and choked it. And Jesus explained the passage and said that it was three things that choked out the word of God in that person's life. And it was the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. And I don't know about you, but if you want to just be honest for a moment uh, with yourself and the Lord, how easy is it to fall into the trap of one of those three things choking out our love and delight and joy in the Lord. I mean, I just remember back to 2020 and all of the fears, the cares of this life that sucked up and sucked away the joy that we experienced. So we, we looked at those things. We, we talked about how the cares of this life are budgets and braces and retirements. That's cares, the deceitfulness of riches that it's a priority in our life, and that is a deceitful priority, that the, the deceitfulness of riches is also this idea of it makes promises, money, possessions make promises that they can't fulfill. They write checks that they can't cash. And so we talked about that deceitfulness and the desire for other things, and whether that's consumerism or a lack of contentment in our lives, Those three things choke out the Word of God. And what it says is, they choked out the Word and it proved unfruitful. And I just asked the question last week, could Jesus' answer of our often fruitlessness in personal life and inside the church, could He be giving an answer right here and that answer be mostly ignored? Why am I so fruitless? Could it be one of these three things? Choking out the Word. Why is our church sometimes so fruitless? Could it be one of these three things? Choking out the word and proving it unfruitful. We have to ask ourselves that question. And and it's why, why would that happen? Listen to me, church family. Satan knows right where to get you. And he'll get you right where it hurts. I want you to remember the story of the, the Mark chapter 5. There's the demon-possessed man. The, the one who has the legion inside. Jesus casts out the demon. They go enter into a herd of what? Pigs. The pigs run down the hill into the sea and die. And what do the herdsmen do? They come to Jesus and say, wow, this is amazing. Stay longer. No, what do they do? Get out of here. 
You, you hit us where it really hurt. You took away our livelihood. Get out. Right? And Satan knows right where to get you. So I want to remind us that we're going to talk about stewardship, and that's the act of wisely managing God's stuff in a way that pleases the master. And let me push down on that idea of God's stuff. It's in quotations up there, God's stuff. Now, we don't talk like that a lot, but I want to remind you of three basic biblical truths about stewardship. Number one, they're on the screen right here. God is creator and owner of all things. God is creator and owner of all things. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Who does the earth and all that is in it belong to? God. It all belongs to the Almighty God. Number two, second important truth. We would say God has given the ability to produce wealth. God has given the ability to produce wealth. Now that is often one of these things where, where I say, well, well I, my hands have done it. And listen to what Moses or God says through Moses in Deuteronomy 8 verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Did you see that? My power, my hand has gotten me this wealth. He says, beware of saying that. Because in fact, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So the ability to go to work in the morning. What did you do? We got a lot of retired people in here. They're like, I don't do that anymore. But when you did, it was not your own strength that got you out of bed in the morning. Well, yeah, yeah, I, but it was, I used my mind. Well, who gave you that mind, right? I worked my tail off. Who gave you the ability to work your tail off? I worked really long shifts. Yes, and who gave you the power to do it, right? It all came from God. So not only is he the owner or creator and owner of everything, but he gives us the ability to produce wealth. So what boasting do we have there, right? He owns it all, and then the money that he does give to us for this season, it all comes through him. And then the third truth that I want you to see as I press down on this idea of God's stuff is found in Genesis 2.15. It says, God has given us stewardship responsibility over his creation. So God is creator and owner of everything. And he has given to you and to me stewardship responsibility. I want you to look at 2.15. It says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Question, is this before the fall or after the fall? Before the fall. Doggone. That means that work is not a curse of the fall. Sweaty work is. Toilsome work is. But work itself isn't. He told them to work it and to keep it. And literally to serve it. To serve it. We are stewards of God's creation, you and me. And that's before the fall. Matthew chapter 25 verse 21 says it like this. Jesus is telling a parable of the talents. And he said to him, his master said to him, Well done, you, you know this phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. Now, how, how many times have you heard that at a funeral service? You've heard that at a funeral service? Oh, brother, today they have entered into the joy of their master. But what is interesting here in this passage is it wasn't, did I uh, abstain from certain sins? Did I go to church? Did I read my Bible? But here in this passage, it's, did I steward well what God loaned to me for a time? How was my earthly stewardship of all that belonged to the Lord? You've been faithful over a little. Now let me make you faithful over much. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. And I want you to understand that your stewardship, our stewardship of God's stuff has a way to bring emotion into the heart of our God. And we can either bring joy to him, or what was the opposite? You wicked and lazy servant. He buried it, right? He buried that one talent. Oh, you're lazy. You're wicked. Depart from me. And he cast him out into utter darkness. Our stewardship of God's stuff has a way to bring emotion to the very heart of our master. Isn't that exciting? That what you do can make your papa smile. That Abba looks down from you or on you and looks at how you spent your days and your resources and he says, oh, that's my boy, that's my girl. I'm proud of you. Enter into the joy of your master. And it's about stewardship. So everything we possess is on loan from God and he calls us to steward his stuff in a way that pleases him and, and is useful in his mission. Time belongs to Him. Time belongs to God. In Acts chapter 17, quotes, in Him, quoting an, a, a Greek uh, poet, in Him we live and move and have our being. Paul says, yes, we do. Time belongs to Him. So many of us think about stewardship as only financial. It's so much more than financial. It's about your time. Are you stewarding your time well? Are you? Many of you are here and you're, you're on retirement. You've worked your tails off and you've earned and saved. And now you're coasting or, or you're, you're, you're using your time in certain ways. The question is, are you using your time in a way that pleases the master? Money and possessions belong to Him. Your homes and your cars belong to Him. Parents with young children, your children belong to Him. Are you stewarding your children in a way that pleases the Master? Sometimes we say things, silly things like, I'll let my children can do anything they want as long as they don't go on the mission field to Africa or something like that. I, I remember when I married Liz, that was her daddy's greatest concern. You're not going to take my daughter to Africa, are you? I don't know. Our children belong to the Lord and we're stewards over them for a certain time. And so the question is, are we stewarding them well? Now, I want to I look at something on the screen for a second, okay? Uh, it, it, and when I learned this, um, it was so helpful for me. 
And, and it's a progression of stewardship, a progression of how we think about money from, um, from one point in our life where we're saved to the point where God desires us to be, okay? And so I want you to see up on the screen, I've got four circles, okay? Now, there are four ways for us to look at stewardship or money and possessions. And so the first one is the self-absorbed owner. And that self-absorbed owner says, 100% of this is mine. It all belongs to me. And so in quotes down here, I have full authority over my stuff. And so that's a self-absorbed owner. And we, when we think about it that way, we're, we're not thinking biblically. Okay? But let's make a progression. Let's make a progression down the road. We've, we've grown in Christ-likeness. Now we've got the obligated owner. Okay? And that obligated owner says, it's still 100% mine, but I feel obligated to give God something. I feel obligated to give God something. And so what that looks like sometimes is, is we're, we're not tithers, we're not generous givers, we're not whole life stewards, but we just, it's almost like we tip God sometimes when we, when we have a little extra. And so we, when we think about this idea that now I feel obligated to give God something. Now the statistics say that uh, most of the church, and I don't mean Seneca Baptist necessarily, but most of the capital C church falls in these first two groups. Anywhere between 50 to 75% of those who call themselves Christians fall in these two groups right here. Now our statistics at Seneca Baptist Church say that 25% of people fall in category number one. And about 40% fall in category 1 to 2. Now the third one is the obedient owner. The obedient owner. 10% is God's and 90% is mine. And so I will obey what God says I should do with my stuff. Obedient owner. Now, if you find yourself right here... Praise God that you find yourself right here. Uh, I'm so thankful for that. Now, the statistics also say that about 5 to 15% of people fall in that category. 15% is being very generous. 7% is closer. And I mean inside the church, the capital C church, those who call themselves Christians, less than 15% fall in that third category. Now, but if you find yourself here... Praise God. Remember, obedience is good. Obedience is a good thing. Uh, and, and, and this is a step, but this is not the end goal. This is not the goal of God for your life is that you would be an obedient owner. Why? Because this is right where the Pharisees were. This is right where Pharisees were. Don't you remember Matthew 23? Jesus says to the Pharisees, you tithe... Mint and dill and cumin, as you should, but you neglect weightier matters of the law. This is right where the Pharisees found them out or found themselves. In the heart of it is what is really important. The heart behind this obedient owner is really important for us to understand. And here's the heart that you need to watch out for. The heart or the question that we would sometimes ask in this third position is: what is the least amount I can give of my possessions? of my resources, of my time, and still be good with God? 
What's the least amount I can give and still be good with God? And if we're asking ourselves that question, I think we need to search our hearts. This is not the end goal. The Bible, the Bible all through the, the scriptures in the Old Testament speaks of tithing and in the New Testament speaks of generosity. Now, everywhere in the New Testament where the law is given, the, the law is always increased upon. And what I mean by that is the bar is always set higher in the New Testament than in the Old Testament. Jesus gives a number of examples. You've heard it said, don't murder. And all of us at that point in time would probably go, whew, check. I'm good. I haven't killed anybody lately. Right? But Jesus then says, but I say to you, if you have hated a brother in your heart, and all of us go, ooh. I say to you, don't commit adultery. Or you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you lust at a woman in your heart, what's Jesus doing? He's raising the bar. And we see that. He says... You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. We often think, well, tithing is the end goal. 10% is God's and 90% is mine, and that's not where God wants us to be. Let's look at the last one here. It's the love-inspired steward. The love-inspired steward. The love-inspired steward says, it all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. In, in other words, I have given God total authority over all his stuff. This is God's goal for every believer. And I, I, I'm not talking about money here. But everything, God is the owner of everything. Your home, your possessions, your money, your time, your next breath, your next year. How will I steward that? And this one says, it's, I've given God total authority over his stuff. Now, the obedient owner, this is what's interesting. The obedient owner doesn't, or he needs a calculator to determine what he should give. But the love-inspired steward needs a conversation with God. And that's where God wants to get you to, is where we stop looking at a calculator and say, how much am I supposed to give? And where we start talking to God and say, what do you want from these things from me that you have loaned to me for this season? How do you want me to use them and spend these resources that are unloaned to me since you're the owner of all things? And remember, it's not about, I said this last week, it's not about moving a decimal point, but it's about moving the affections of your heart. Now, there are two, two groups of people in the room. One group of people says, listen, I understand stewardship when it, become, when it comes to money, but my time and, and my resources and my spiritual gifts and my children, don't mess with those. And other people, you're like, you want me to send my children to Timbuktu? No problem. But don't, don't mess with my money. And so... Remember, stewardship is not about trying to save money, but rather to find a way to use what God owns in such a way to leave an eternal impact. That God has a kingdom. He's got a mission. And all that we have belongs to Him and is useful for that mission. So how should I use what you have loaned to me for the mission that you have, God? How can what you have blessed me with be a blessing to the lost? 
How can the lost be saved and the saved be discipled? How can that happen? And how can I steward well the resources that you've given me for that end goal? Are you with me, church? Listen, I got home last week and I said to Liz, I said, I'm not sure how that sermon went. It was the quietest the sanctuary's ever been. I have that feeling today, too. Stewardship is not a money issue. Stewardship is a discipleship issue. It's discipleship. Stewardship is about our hearts. And remember, the way that we think about, the way that we react to and spend money is a reflection of our relationship with God. And so that's what brings me to Job chapter 22, verse 23, 24, 25, and 26. If you will lay your gold in the dust. Listen to God's heart. Listen to what the Father says to you. And he uses a wicked man to do it. A man who was wrong in what he said. A wrong in in indicting Job of this. But he's giving us a profound spiritual truth. If you will lay your gold in the dust, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Do you hear the heart of the Master? There are two kinds of treasures in the world. There's the kind of treasure that you'll spend your life earning and you can't take with you. Or there's the kind of treasure that will go beyond the grave. And if you learn to lay one in the dust, you'll learn to appreciate the other. Are you with me? That is God's heart for you. And he says, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver, for then you will delight yourself in the Almighty. Now, some of us, we know how to enjoy good things. We know how to enjoy good things. The, my three boys got to go to a, a football game yesterday. Miles, Sutton, and Jackson. He's just become boy number three in my life. He's one of my sons, right? So, uh, Miles, Sutton, and Jackson, we went with the hemp pills. We enjoyed a football game. It was fun. Our bellies were full. We cheered and we yelled and we screamed. We enjoyed a football game. We, we know how to enjoy a football game. There was some good football on yesterday. And if you say amen to that louder than you said amen to anything else, I'm going to come after you now. Right? We enjoy good food. Oh, why do you think, why in the world do you think that God created, Liz's favorite, one of her favorite dishes is chicken or eggplant parmesan. Oh yeah, I'm making you hungry right now. Why do you think God made things to taste that good? Filet mignon. Oh yeah. Lobster. Why do you think God made something that good? Honey. Why do you think God made something as sweet as honey? To teach you about the sweetness and richness of our master. Have you been up, have you driven around lately and seen the color of the trees? Why do you think God made that happen? So that you could look at creation and go, wow, creation is amazing. No, to give you a glimpse of glory. To teach you that if this is his creation, how beautiful is he? 
If this is the manifold beauty of God, how rich is He? Why do you think God made physical intimacy so pleasurable? To teach you about something. About a kind of intimacy that that pales in comparison to. He gives us these things in our life to teach us to enjoy things with hopes that we would learn to enjoy the giver of all good gifts. But when, if you have a grandchild, how many of you, where are my grandparents out there? You have a grandbaby? Do I have to force you to enjoy your grandbaby? To delight in your grandbaby? No. That grandbaby is your delight. The delight of your heart. The apple of your eye. You go to a football game. If I were to give you fourth row, 50-yard line tickets to your favorite football team, am I going to have to say to you, now when you get there, be sure to cheer real loud. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how when we don't know how to lay our gold in the dust, we will be delighted with so many other things. We talk about enjoying all these things, delighting in all these things, but when we talk about enjoying the Lord and delighting in the Lord, it's like, huh? God is meant to be delighted in, to be enjoyed, to be our treasure. And it's in those moments where the church has crickets in the background. Because we, we know how to be obedient. Do this, don't do this, check. No, your goal is to enjoy Him. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desire of your heart. Are you with me, church? That's God's goal for you. And we can't do it until we lay other pieces of gold in the dust. So I want to talk about stewardship for a minute, but I want to do so in a way because it's not that God needs or wants your money, but He wants something for you that it far surpasses and transcends earthly riches, earthly enjoyment, earthly delight. He wants to give you a delight and an enjoyment and riches that will be forever. And God in His Wonderful wisdom gives you and me an opportunity to know Him and delight in Him and to enjoy Him in such a way, even if it's just a glimpse or a taste of what heaven will be like, it should cause us to long more for Him than earthly things. And he says, if you're not willing to lay your gold in the dust, he says, if you do, He'll be your treasure and your silver. He'll be your gold and your silver. He'll he will be your delight. But if you don't, you're going to miss out on true riches. Well, that would never happen. Only fools would do that. Well, let me remind you of a story. And my story from earlier, the, the, um, the herdsman. Jesus, the God-man, had just cast out a legion of demons in their midst. And they wanted nothing to do with Jesus because their possessions had gone. There's another story in Luke chapter 18. I think we have this on the screen. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Question, 
What did Jesus leave out? What commandments did he leave out? He just names uh, five through ten. What did he just leave out? The first four. And the first four have everything to do with God. It could be summed up with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why in the world did Jesus leave out those? It's because he's coming back to it. Follow me. Verse 21 to 23 says, And he said, All these things I've kept since my youth. And I, I just want to say, You liar. Okay. All these things I've kept since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. How much of it did he tell him to distribute? No, you're not reading. How much did he tell him to distribute? He didn't. Maybe the all is insinuated or assumed, but he doesn't say. We've often said, no, you've got to give everything away. Now, I don't think that in everybody's circumstance, God wants every one of us to sell everything and give it all to the poor, because that wouldn't work very well. No, Jesus is coming after his heart. One thing you lack, you've not laid your gold in the dust. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have what? Treasure in heaven. Does that sound familiar? If you lay your gold in the dust, then the Almighty will be your gold and your silver. Then you'll delight yourself in the Almighty. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Go to that next slide, Mr. James. Look at what he does here. When he heard these things, he became very sad. Because he was very rich. It's interesting in this passage that the extent of his sadness is connected to the extent of his riches on earth. If you lay your gold in the dust, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. See, this, this young man was not willing to lay his gold in the dust, and because he wasn't, he went away sad. He missed out on the true riches of Jesus. And many of us, are, we're like this young man because gold has a hold on our heart. Because the thorns of possessions, cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things have so encompassed our hearts with thorns that we have failed to grab hold of what Jesus really wants to be, promises to be, offers to be for those who will lay those things aside. And so the goal of this series, four weeks on stewardship, is to preach and teach in such a way that you see Jesus as glorious. As the greatest treasure the world could ever know, then and only then can the grasp of gold be loosened in our hearts. And then and only then can you experience Jesus as he ought to be experienced. See, tithing and generosity and stewardship are tools in the hand of a God to set us free from idolatry and the chains of possessions.
See, so many times we say we own something, and in fact, that something owns us. Remember, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Friend, I don't want anything from you. But we desperately, as a church, we want this for you. We do. We want this for you. Possessions are a good thing. But anytime you make a good thing a God thing, that's a bad thing. We want something better for you. And so if you'll lay your gold in the dust, then the Almighty will be your gold, your precious silver. Then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. As we close, maybe you've come into this place and you realize through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that the way that we're stewarding things is not accurately describing what I want to be the affections and the desires of my heart. And whether it's time or money or children or whatever those things might be that we're stewarding, maybe if you're under the conviction of the Lord, you just want to meet with Him in this moment and say, Father, by Your grace, set me free from materialism or consumerism or whatever it might be in your life that's keeping you from Jesus being your treasure. Maybe you've never heard of it the word of God or the call of God spoken in this way and, and you want that kind of treasure. You feel empty and poor. Can I just remind you that the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 9 that Christ who was rich became poor for you so that you through his poverty might become rich. Christ died to give you eternal treasure. Maybe today you want to trust him. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in an uh, ending song. And as we close in this song, oh, praise the name. As we close with this song, would you stand? Would you sing? Would you respond as the Lord leads you and as he puts it in your heart? Let's pray. Father, speak to us, challenge us, change us, mold us. Shape us, make us, take us from the one who says we own it all to the one that says we want to be a love-inspired steward. Father, that is not easy. I confess my own failures here. I confess how my heart is often so distracted with other things. Father, help me by your grace to move moment by moment, inch by inch, one degree of glory, being transformed in the image of your Son. Help me. And Father, may by your grace the grasp, the, the hold, the thorns of things lose their grip on my heart. We love you. We need you, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. And as